Our mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! This week on Mind Matters, it's time to turn down the noise and listen to what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind because your mind matters. So come on in and join us. Christianity Today Leadership Journal says mental illness is the sort of thing we don't like to talk about. It doesn't reduce nicely to simple solutions and happy outcomes. So instead, all too often we reduce people who are mentally ill to characters and ghosts and simply pretend they don't exist, but they do exist. However, statistics suggest that one in four people suffer from some kind of mental illness. And then there's their friends and family members who bear their own scars and anxious thoughts and who see no safe place to talk about the impact of mental illness on their lives and their loved ones. Many of these people are sitting in churches week after week, suffering in stigmatized silence. Today, Richard and I are honored to have Amy Simpson on the show to talk about this topic. Amy's a friend, a colleague. She's a speaker, an editor, a leadership coach, the author of the award-winning books, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Troubled Minds, Mental Illness and the Church's Mission, and Anxious, an associate publisher for Bibles at Tyndale House Publishers. She's previously worked in publishing for organizations such as Moody, Group Publishing, Gospel Light, Standard Publishing, Lifeway, Focus on the Family, and Christianity Today. Amy was the acquisitions editor who approached me about writing a book for suicide loss survivors. She's a good friend and a great writer, and she's going to talk to us today about mental illness in the church and her book, Troubled Minds. Amy, welcome to Mind Matters. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. You are very familiar with mental illness, and your mother struggled with mental health issues for most of your life. And you've written about it in your book, Troubled Minds. Can you start us off by sharing a little bit of your story growing up and how that's led you to a passion to see some changes in how the church approaches mental health issues. Yeah, I'd love to. So basically when you use the, when people use the word, the phrase, the church and mental health or mental health in the church, um, they're kind of describing the basis, basic ingredients of my family (laughs) or my family experience, because um, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor for 10 years when I was growing up um, during my 10 most formative years, probably. And, um, and at the same time, my mom uh, suffered from a a severe mental illness. She still does. She's, I don't mean to just say in the past tense, she's still with us and still um, lives with schizophrenia. Um, Her, her schizophrenia was, was as far as I know, undiagnosed when I was young. Um, And it was certainly untreated when I was, when I was really young. So, but she developed, she began to develop symptoms at the classic age, you know, late teen years and got married as a, as a 19 year old to my dad and moved halfway across the country. Um, and then, you know, uh, just engaged in life as, as an adult and eventually as a pastor's wife with four kids, 
um, battling the the effects of schizophrenia, but she functioned well enough that she was able to kind of hide it. And my dad was able to kind of help her sweep some things under the rug and not understanding what she was dealing with. So Um, what kind of things were you noticing as a kid? Yeah. With your mother. You know, when you're, when you're a child, you don't, you think your family's normal, right? Yeah. Mine's normal for you. So I didn't, um, I didn't ever, I, I was not aware that, my, my mom had a mental illness, um, and didn't ever think, didn't ever frame our experience in that way. Um, when I was young, but I certainly experienced the effects of it. My mom was very fragile. Um, she was always, um, very, uh, yeah, always felt like someone who she was very fearful and, and that, that fear and probably some paranoia that was there was, was palpable, you know, for me and my siblings, um, so she, she always felt like someone who we needed to protect, um, even when, when, when I was very young, um, always just had the sense that we need to protect and, and care for mom and never had the sense that she was capable of doing that for us. You know, so there was just that kind of sense of, of being very fragile and needing care and needing help, but not really thinking that through as a child that why, you know, maybe this isn't the way moms are supposed to be. You know, that was just our experience. Um, she was also very uh, isolative at times. She would go go into a, a, her bedroom and lock the door and, you know, just stay in there for hours and we would just kind of be on our own or she would be with us as a family and just not really be all there, you know, not fully present. Um, she would zone out at times or she would say things that were confusing. She had some some um, ways of viewing the Bible and some of what's in scripture in ways that were a little bit, you know, not quite right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could be confusing as a child to, to be told one thing. And then maybe that doesn't sound quite right, but you don't know quite know how to make sense of that. So things like that. Um, My mom really never has never really been able to have friendships. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I was, young, you know, again, this was not something I thought about. It was, it was just the way it was, but my mom, um, didn't really have, I, I don't ever remember her having a, a friend, like a true friend, but I think I chalked some of that up to, to being a pastor's family too, you know, because many people feel awkward around right in their families. And, you know, so that can be, that can be sort of alienating as well. Um, and lonely, but that was an element of it too. And and my mom would get confused about things like, or she'd be maybe talking about something and then mid sentence, she would, she would just get really jumbled about what she was trying to say. And she'd say like, I just can't quite, I don't know how to say it. I can't say it. Or, you know, it, it was just kind of a, I guess it came across as kind of a, a quirky characteristic of her, but one that I, I didn't, I did not, I didn't have the language or the understanding to, to frame. Um, so how did all that affect you? So you kind of were mom to your own mom. You probably people in those scenarios uh, learn to be very responsible. Were you the oldest? No, I'm the third of four. 
and all of all of me and my siblings all reacted somewhat similarly and and somewhat differently too to this. So um, two of us, my older sister and I, who are actually the ones in the middle, uh, really became hyper responsible. Yes, and and very much like like we needed to care for our siblings. Me for my younger sister, I felt very responsible for her. Um, my older sister, really for for both of us, <laughs> maybe for the whole family to a degree. Um, and we didn't ever talk about that. We didn't know that about each other, you know, mm-hmm. and I just knew my older sister was really bossy and, and which of course, um, you know, I might've thought that anyway, being a younger sibling, but, you know, to me, she was just very, you know, she seemed really, really bossy. And then as I've got older, I've realized, no, my sister was really anxious and very much feeling the weight of caring for the whole family. You know? Wow. Amy, was, was there telling... anybody ever that, uh, that said, Hey, there's something wrong over there. Uh, we, we, we really need to step in and, and help these, these folks out. Not that I know of. Now, my dad was, my dad was a pastor. He was a pastor in small rural churches. Um, and he served a couple of different churches. And I know we moving on from both of those churches there, there were issues related to my mom with, with those churches and how, you know, at the, I, I'm not sure what, what all the details were, but um, I know my mom was absolutely not able to fulfill the, the expectations of a pastor's wife in, especially in a, in a church where, you know, there's one staff member who's the pastor. And in those churches, usually the pastor's whole family is really on staff in, in a way. My mom was not able to handle that situation well. Um, so I don't know. I don't know whether there were people who may have spoken up or expressed concern. Um, not to me. And and so I, I didn't experience that. But my mom, again, my mom was able to function well enough to get by, even despite those many ways that things were not right. And and as children, you know, we were we were fairly unprotected. Um, so it was not an ideal situation. And there and there were some traumatic experiences around that. Um, and again, for my siblings and I, we all experienced some different things there. Um, Trauma, but, you mean like in the in the way of, uh, of feeling safe or not feeling safe? Um, yes. And then also like being exposed to some some things that we, you know, wouldn't have been exposed to probably if with a with a more competent parent yeah. in the picture. Um, and, and so what did you do with all that? I mean, did you guys just, I mean, for you personally, did you just kind of stuff it? I, or, I mean, obviously you're too young to really process that and say, right. oh, mom has this problem and, you know, this isn't related to us. You, we can't think abstractly at that young age. So, yeah. So for me, I very much um, became I was I was very shy and and reserved as a child, um, not with people I was comfortable with, but with many people. I, I I became fairly fearful myself. I sort of I think my mom's fear and then that sense of a lack of safety, you know, not really being protected, very very much affected the way I grew up. And then as I got older, um, into my teenage years, my mom's illness actually became much more much worse, much more pronounced. And and eventually she reached the point where she was uh, to- totally broke with reality. And then it was uh, from that point on, it was impossible. You know, no longer could this be hidden or explained away or swept under the rug. And and at that point, you know, things things changed in terms of um, the the ways, the coping mechanisms that we employed. Um, so, yeah, I, I did. I did have some 
some coping mechanisms as a child. I was very cautious, very self-protective, very much felt like I was on my own. And so I had to, I had to kind of keep myself safe and watch out for my little sister and also care for my mom. I was very concerned about wanting to care for my mom, wanting her to be okay, wanting to protect her. Um, when I got into those teenage years, that, that grew more pronounced where I really kind of really was sort of on my own, um, and watching out for my sister, um, and, and really decided that I was going to fix my mom. You know, I mean, I say decided this wasn't a cognitive decision, but, but one that, but a behavioral one, you know, yeah. I was going to, I was going to fix her by being, by loving her and being super helpful and like just kind of talking her through it, you know? So I definitely tried to do that and had these experiences just trying to, trying to help her even like through psychotic episodes, you know, managing life and, and sort of, um, doing, doing all the, doing heavy lifting while sort of pretending like she was more effective than she was, mm. you know, as, as kind of trying to prop her up as well. Um, to, to just have more of a sense of normalcy than we really had. My mom, during my high school years, my mom was in and out of the hospital um, through just through a, a con, kind of a continuous cycle. That was um, that, that was really from, from the from the time I was 14 on. That's that's pretty much been the cycle has has been my mom will go to be hospitalized, be stabilized with medication, be released, you know, and and then get better function much, much better for a while. And then, you know, uh, stop taking the meds. Um, did you feel guilt again? Um, I felt, I didn't feel guilt as much as I felt shame. Yeah. Mm, Talk about that. Yeah. My whole family felt, um, was really, really affected by stigma and especially, you know, not having the, the language to understand and make sense of what we were going through. Um, it was, it was hard to under, hard to understand, certainly hard to explain to anyone else. Um, so we felt like we needed to can't kind of keep it hidden. Yeah. So you felt like we don't belong. For sure. Yeah. I certainly felt as if no one would understand mm-hmm. what we were walking through. And it was, and, and it isn't, it wasn't, embarrassing you know it is embarrassing to be in public with someone who doesn't know how to behave properly or can't behave properly or doesn't know what's real you know right. and therefore can't navigate a situation normally because they're trying to navigate things that aren't there or you know hearing voices that aren't real or whatever so um yeah lots of shame around that lots of uh, a sense of um you know i think as a daughter you know you sort of naturally look to your mother and see your future and think that's, you know, that's where, that's who I am, or that's who I'll become, or that's, you know, this, this is where I've come from. And for me, I identified so strongly with my mom that it took me well into my thirties before one day in one experience really come to understand and internalize the reality that, you know, we're totally different people. My mom's experience is not mine and that I don't have to, that, that doesn't have to be my future. 